0: We are doing now Sunday's portion of Parsha Ve'era. At the end of portion of Shemot, of this previous portion, Moses comes to Egypt, he tells the Jews the good news, they're all excited, he goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh makes it worse, he makes it much harder. He says the Jews are just having too easy a life, and that's why they're getting distracted and thinking they're going to go and... Uh, get free or something crazy like that. I'm not losing all these millions of workers. Instead, what I'm going to do is take away the straw and let them find straw and make the same amount of bricks, and this will keep them busy and occupied and not dreaming of escape. So in other words, what happened is Moses comes with the good news of redemption, and it gets harder. It gets worse. So Moses turns to God at the end of the portion of Shemos and says, What's going on? Why have you harmed your people? Why have you sent me? It's just gotten worse. So God is now in the middle of responding. God responded the last verse of the previous portion, that you will see that I will do this, and God's continuing here. The first verse says, and God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am God. And in the Hebrew, it's Vayidzaber, or speak, and Elohim as a reference to God. Both of those, terms, Dibor and Elohim, both imply harshness. Beedaber is a harsh term of speech, as versus the other common one, Beomer. And Elohim is the name of God in his mode of judgment, strictness, punitive. So the combination of the two, as Rashi explains, is God speaking to Moses' words of rebuke. Moses said to him, why, have you, why are you doing this so harshly? You know, you come, I, I'm coming, I'm the redeemer, I have the good news, the Jews believe, and now it gets worse? And God is giving him rebuke. God says, I am God. And again, he says here, I am God, Ani Hashem. So what God is saying here by this is the word Hashem, that name, symbolizing the ultimate name of God, the kevav Vovke It's a name that says, I'm faithful to pay reward. I haven't sent you in vain. I'm going to fulfill my words. We're going to redeem the Jewish people now. In other words, Moses said to God, Why did you send me? God is saying, I sent you to take the Jews out of Egypt. Exactly why I said I sent you. Now, this name for God, this most foundational name, implies beyond time. It explains it's like He was, He is, and He will be. Because God is eternal, he's not subject to the strictures of time. And therefore, he can punish a reward whatever time he wants to. So this name implies that he's faithful to exact payment and to give reward. So therefore, I know you came, and I know it got worse, seemingly. Don't worry. I know what I'm doing. I am faithful to reward. The next verse, and I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob in the name Kael Shachai, but through this name, Hashem, Havaya, I did not become known to them. So Rashi explained that I made promises to all three of the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and in all of them I used the name Kel Shakai. I did not use the name, the Havaya name, the Yudke Vavke name, which we just explained is the name that's really expressing this truth of being completely faithful to uphold his word, that he's beyond time, past, present, and future. the same, and he keeps his word. And, and those promises I made to them, I still haven't fulfilled. I'm going to fulfill them, but I still haven't fulfilled them yet. Next verse, and I also established my covenant with them. Give them the land of Canaan, the land of their traveling, that they traveled in there, so, when I appear to them in Keel Shakai, Rashi explains, and I establish a covenant between myself and them, and I promise them, to each one of them I promise to give them the land of Canaan. By Abraham, in the section of the circumcision, God said, I'm Keel Shakai, and I'm going to give you this land. By Isaac, it says, to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will fulfill the oath I swore to Abraham. So, even though God did not specifically appear to Isaac, saying, my name is Kel-Shakai. But he, in his appearance to Isaac, is referencing the oath he made to Abraham when he said he was Kel-Shakai. And to Jacob, he said it directly. To Jacob, he said, I am Kel-Shakai. Be fruitful and multiply in the land that I've given to Abraham and to Isaac I will give to you. So I promised all three of them this land. And you know what? I haven't done it yet. Next verse. And I too have heard the wail of the children of Israel whom Egypt enslaves, and I have remembered my covenant. The Rashi explains, I instituted and establish a covenant, and I have to fulfill it. So that's why the verse is saying, I'm hearing the Jews cry out, I'm hearing how the Egyptians are enslaving them, and I remember the covenant. And I remember actually in the covenant, which this was a covenant made to Abraham, I even promised there that I will judge the nation who are going to treat the Jews harshly. Next verse. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am God, and I shall take you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I shall rescue from their service. I shall redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. So therefore, the word therefore is saying like an oath. This is on the basis of the earlier oath that God said he made with the patriarchs, say to the children, I am God, I am Hashem, Havaya, Diyutke, Vavke. I can be trusted to keep my promise. And I will take you out because I promised this to Abraham between the pieces. In that covenant between the pieces, I promised him to we'll get out, I promised to go out with great will. And you could get out from the burdens of Egypt, which Rashi explains as the yoke of the burden of Egypt meaning this word, the burdens, we've had already a number of times. And Rashi never explained it because it meant its literal, simple sense, the burdens, the hard labor. Here, Rashi is saying, not only is God going to free the Jews from the physical hard labor, he's going to free them from the yoke of the burden of Egypt, meaning the feeling that they're duty-bound to do the biddings of the Egyptians, even when they're not actually engaged in hard physical labor. Next verse, I shall take you to me for a people, and I shall be a God to you. You shall know that I am God, your God, takes you out from the burdens of the burdens of Egypt. Next verse, I shall bring you to the land about which I have raised my hand, to give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I shall give it to you as a heritage, I am God. The raising hand, Rashi says, also is an expression of swearing, it's as if he's Swearing, because raising your hand in and of itself doesn't connote swearing. The Rashi is adding here that raising the hand alludes to the throne of glory, the symbol of God's kingship. It's as if he was saying, I swear by being king. The next verse says, So Moses spoke accordingly to the children of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of shortness of breath and hard work. The Rashi explains, doesn't mean they didn't listen. Obviously, they, they heard what he said. And Moses isn't asking them to do anything. So not listen doesn't mean like they didn't obey. So does it doesn't mean they didn't listen. Obviously, they heard. Obviously, they comprehended. They weren't being asked to do anything. Rashi says in this context, didn't listen means they couldn't be consoled. Moses was trying to give them consolation through his message of the impending redemption and they couldn't hear it. They couldn't accept it. Why not? Because of shortness of breath. Anyone who's under stress is short of breath. They can't breathe in deeply. Then Rashi says that he wants to bring in another interpretation from someone that we're seeing here that God, obviously, confirms his words, even for the purpose of punishment, He makes it known that his name is God, especially if he's even doing this when he punishes, how much more so when he's confirming good. So that's how this certain Hannah, Rabbi Baruch, in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, he's saying here, that this is teaching us that even for, not even, how much more so, when God is confirming good, he, he tells us that his name is Hashem. He even does that for punishment. So that's one interpretation. The rabbis, the sages of the Talmud, interpret it in a different way. They're giving a different interpretation to these last few verses. Actually, now we're already on verse 9, and now we're going all the way back to verse 3 and 4. Because when Moses said, why have you done bad to these people? Why do you harm the people? This is what our sages say God answered in response. God said, oh, I feel so bad for those that are lost and not found, meaning that's a reference to the patriarch. I have good cause to be the deaths of the patriarch. Because many times I revealed myself to them in the name Calshakai, and they didn't say, what's your name? So you're saying to me, what's your name? And I established a covenant with them to give them the land, but they didn't see that. And now Rashi goes through for each one of them a situation where they had to expend money or had effort or stress in the land. Abraham, when he wanted to marry Sarah, he had to pay a lot of money for that very exorbitant price for that gravesite, even though the land was promised to him. He didn't question. And Isaac, his servants dug wells, and if you remember the story... The people from Gerorah, they all argued with him and fought with him over whose wealth it was. He didn't question me, even though I promised him the land. And look how much stress he was having. And Jacob. Jacob pitched his tent in the area right at He had to be a lot of money to leave his tent there. And he didn't question me. So you see here, all the situations where God didn't question. Where they didn't question God. All right where they could have questioned, where it seems that exactly what they were promised is exactly what they weren't getting. And they could have questioned, but they didn't question. And yet you, Moses, right away, by saying to be the Redeemer, it gets harder. And right away you start questioning, why are you harming your people? So that's the Midrash, pretty powerful Midrash here. So Rashi brings it all, and then he questions it. Now what's Rashi doing? Because now Rashi rips it apart and has all these questions on it. So in such a situation, we would say Rashi is bringing us the message because he wants us to know it. He wants us to know the information, even though he does have problems with it in his role of explaining the literal meaning of the verse. He has problems with it; it's flawed. At the same time, the basic message Rashi obviously mean, feels is a good message, and therefore he wants you to say it. So. We have here now his questions. So what are the questions? The Rashi says, first of all, it doesn't say they didn't ask about my name, which is what the Midrash is saying here. He's saying I didn't inform them of my name. And also, we can wonder this because he did. When God is revealing himself to Abraham at this covenant, the the covenant between the pieces, God says to him, I am Hashem took you out of it or cost him. So he does say the name Hashem Havaya to Abraham. And also, the sequence doesn't seem to flow. The The order of the verses seems different than it would seem based on this midrash. So, this is stylistic to Rashi if he, that he could quote something, disagree with it, but he still wants you to know the information, which is why he's bringing it in, even though he's showing you all of its flaws vis-à-vis a truly literal meaning of the text, interpretate. The next verse, God spoke to Moses saying, come speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to send the children of Israel from his land. Moses spoke before God saying, behold, the children of Israel have not listened to me. How will Pharaoh listen to me and I have lost lips? The Rashi says, block lips is one whose lips are blocked, which is a whole, now Rashi is going to give six examples to show that this word implies lock. So how will Pharaoh listen to me? The Rashi said this is one of the ten Ka'al arguments that appear in Torah, meaning this is a a logical argument that reasons if a rule or fact applies in a situation where there's relatively little reason for it to apply, certainly it applies in a situation where there's more reason for it to apply. Meaning Moses is saying if Israel for whom my message is beneficial, will not listen to me. For sure Pharaoh, for whom my message is detrimental, will not listen. Another reasoning here would be that Pharaoh would not listen because of Moses' box lips because some of the speech is speaking be before the king. If you're speaking just to a common person, it's not significant. But if the Jews who should not have been thrown off by Moses' blocked lips, still ignored him. Certainly Pharaoh, who wasn't used to somebody with a speech impediment talking to him, would surely reject such a mission and such a messenger. So the next Rashi in this verse, He commanded them, it says in the verse, and he commanded them regarding the children of Israel. So he commanded Moses' arms to lead them calmly and to be patient with them, as far as we're going to get today in this portion.